Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. We're going to be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you've got a New Testament, it's the first book you come to. If you've got an Old Testament, go past that one and start Matthew. And we're going to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, those that have been around the Bible for some length of time and done some uh, Bible study uh, will know what I'm fixing to share with you. But let me give a little bit of background. The scripture tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now some people think it was a different way, but I choose to believe the Bible, that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. You remember that he created man. Man had an opportunity to come into a perfect environment, a perfect world, where the lion and the lamb could just lay down together. But Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And when they sinned, sin came into the world, and death by sin. No longer did they have eternal life. No, no longer would they have a utopian paradise. So sin came. From that time until now, no one ever have, has to be taught how to sin. That's an inherited nature. But in due time, God sent his only son, Jesus. Actually, the word became flesh. God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Before he came, all of the Old Testament, there was a lot of worship. And the Jewish people had been prophesied to. They were God's chosen people. And they had been prophesied to that, that God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior. And he did, Jesus. But they did not all accept that. But there was churches before Jesus came. There were temples, and, uh, and the Jewish people would come and worship with all the sincerity and whatever, and God blessed them in incredible ways, thousands of stories and illustrations. But when the Lord came to this earth, he came for a purpose. That purpose was, first of all, to show those that wanted to be followers of God what that meant. And he literally, without ever sinning in his life, he gave up everything including his life, he laid his life down in order that the sins of that generation or the, that, that previous time before he came and until now could have a way to receive a gift that was free of eternal life and that God would come and live in their life. In that time before, after the birth, Jesus was born of a virgin Conceived in the womb of a woman that never knew a man, according to the scripture. And in the time between Jesus' birth and his crucifixion, there was about three years of public ministry. In those three years, Jesus sort of introduced who he was as compared to what they were used to. They were used to a lot of laws. They were used to a lot of ritualism. They were used to a, a, a whole lot of uh, different things that was... Uh, Demanded of them, I should say, the authority of the government or whatever. But when it all started, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And he started his ministry. And one of the most famous events of all history, and certainly in the life of Christ, is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus, without a beautiful auditorium and a great sound system, came out on a hill and he preached a message. 
That message is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes started that. Blessed are you, you remember that? Blessed are you, blessed are you. If not, go home and read that. And that's the way he started. And then in chapter 5, 6, and 7, we find his sermon. Now, one of the things you're going to see today, as I walk out in that very treacherous uh, uh, water of a preacher talking on a subject that most people don't want the preacher to talk about, but the Lord had taught us very, very clearly that we were to pray and we were to serve and that we were to give. And as I look through the Sermon on the Mount, it is astonishing to me how many times in Jesus' great sermon he spoke about material things, money, stuff, thinking, and on and on, on thinking about money, borrowing, lending. It's just over and over in, this, in the sermon, which I'll show you in just a minute. Now, the, the sermon was entitled The Sermon on the Mount, and years ago, my friend John Bassanio preached a sermon, uh, and as I remember his title on this subject, the title was The Sermon on the Amount. And in that message on, in the Beatitudes, it's really that. Who would have thought, just right offhand, because you say, I like those Beatitudes, they just bless me, they just make cold chills go up down my back. How many times Jesus talks about money, material stuff, saving for rainy days, and on and on and on and on. So I want to show you something today, and <clears throat> before you get angry and Besides, that's what I thought, you know, I come to Sagemont and they talk about money. Well, uh, let me just assure you that Sagemont is standing the close-up test when it comes to that. You don't see any offering plates passed today. We don't beg. God's not a beggar. He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. We just simply know that God's found a people that he can bless, and that's a people, whether it's at Sagemont or any other church, that's willing to handle God's money in accordance to the way God wants his money handled. And when God finds those people... He begins to bless them, and you'll see this in just a second. But I want to get off of the church for a minute, and I'll come back there in a second. But have you noticed the way the world has gotten so much about your money? Have you noticed that? I mean, just everywhere you go, that's all they talk about is money. I mean, you can't even get a lottery ticket today without giving them something. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was at Lowe's yesterday, and I bought three lights, and as I was going out the door, the lady said, you want to give a dollar to mustard or dystrophy? Just like that, I said, I want to put Sagemont's name in there too, you know. I said, I want to give a dollar to Sagemont or whatever. But, but no, no, seriously, I said, sure I do. Fine, you know, I know I, I enjoy giving. I know that that's a, a worthy thing, okay? But it, I was in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, I've been there several times. First time I went there, I went to a place that's called the King Burger. If you've ever been to Rock Springs, it's called the King Burger. There's a guy in there, and he's kind of a one of a kind. He, he, he flips a hamburger and sells it to you, and hands out the change, and he's got a sign in behind the counter. It says, this is King Burger, not Burger King. You don't get it your way. You get it my way, or at my price, or you don't get it. 
I mean, if y'all know Buddy Fortenberry, he went crazy when he was winning there. If you've ever seen him order a hamburger, I mean, he was just out of the picture, you know. He's one of our staff members, and they kind of particular on his hamburgers. But I mean, everywhere I'm going, have you been to Walmart? They won't let you have anything without having to go through that little line. Have you been to the movies recently? They won't even let you in the building where they sell popcorn, you know, and into the, to where they show the movie unless you give them some filthy lucre, some dinero, uh, some credit cards, some checks, uh, something, you know. I mean, Astros, they won't let you come. Texans won't let you come. Rockets won't, won't let you come. I mean, it's all they talk about is money. They won't, you they won't let you stay in the hotels. You can't get your car repaired. The plumber won't come out. The electrician won't do anything. Lawn service won't do anything. And the utility, they cut your lights off. And Verizon will not let you have a six or a seven or eight or a nine unless you got the money. That's all they talk about. But the people say, well, church, that's all they talk about. No, well, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Let's don't talk about money. Let's talk about giving. Let's, let's look and see what Jesus says. You know, I don't have any problems with that, by the way. I think that that's, that's what it's all about. That's what the world is about. The government wants the money and on and on. But there's another organization, and if it ever mentions money, people go absolutely crazy. Let me tell you about that organization. It's called the church. Let me just introduce it to you from Matthew 16. We'll be back Matthew 5 in just a minute. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the family of God. It is a group that's come together for the purpose of doing some things that God wants done. First of all, he says in Ephesians 5, 23, Christ is the head of the church. That group called a church is given a responsibility. It is to operate until the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout and he comes again. He is now ascended unto the Father. The Holy Spirit is given to the church. That Holy Spirit is to convict people, love people, comfort people, bring people to Him at, that they might be saved. Now, the church was given some responsibilities. First of all, he says in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to be the salt of the earth. Now, if you know anything about salt, it preserves and it irritates. If you've ever had a wound and you put salt on it, you know that it irritates. We're also told in the 14th through the 16th verse that we're not only salt, but we're light. The scripture says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Now listen to this, church. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. For the light to shine, it takes power. For the light to shine, it takes an illumination. Jesus has already said, I am the light of the world. And church, you are to take that light into a dark world. And in that dark world, you must show them truth. You must show them light. And you must bring to them life. And, you, life. and they will, the source will be such that the in person to be glorified will be God. People will understand that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. Then we're told that we are to carry the gospel to the world. Matthew 28, 19, 20 says, Go you therefore, teach all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach them to observe all the things whatever I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. As I'm speaking to you right now, we have those kids in the Dominican Republic. The other group going to Dallas. How'd they go? The church helped send them to go. We have 4,100 missionaries all over the world. How did they go? How are their bills paid? By the church sending them out, sending them to the uttermost part of the world. If you know anything about Sage My Church, you know that we have, literally, I've got 63 things written on a piece of paper, and I don't have the time to give them all to you. But if you have children, you know how we love children. If you don't have teenagers, you know how this church loves teenagers. If you've ever had a death in your family, you know how this church ministers to you in your time of death. If you've ever been a faithful member of this church and you had any kind of need, if you were ever in the hospital, people came to see you, they didn't charge you, they did not bill you, you're not going to be billed for these lights. You got to park free, sitting in a free seat. The staff is paid out of the budget of the church, and when you call, they don't send you a bill. That's all been taken care of. We have 100 deacons that reach out and love you. We have 1,000 people that are working today for free. Why? Because they care about the purpose of the church. We want people to see Jesus. He is not a beggar. He's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. And we don't stick a plate in front of you and make you feel that you are, have to deal, give or you're compelled to, to give. But let me tell you what we do believe. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Quite frankly, I'd rather give to turn somebody else's light on and pay their light bill than sit in the dark hoping somebody was sent by God to, to, to pay my light bill. You know what I'm talking about? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's, it's more blessed to share in abundance than it is to hope that I can just get the, the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. But the church is to be light, salt, and it is to be life. Another thing we're to do, we're to take care of one another. When one hurts, we all hurt. The church does not send you a bill for what it does. It does what it does. Those of you that are watching on television right now, you've never heard me ask you to send money. We send that signal out. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to do this. Why? Because we love you and we want you to hear. Whether you're watching on the internet, wherever you are in the world, God loves you and we have the joy to send the signal out to you today. Stewardship and giving is the number two subject in all of the New Testament. Did you know there's 2,250 scriptures having to do with that? More than any other subject that you can name outside of salvation. God so, what? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's what the church is all about. Don't feel sorry for the church. Just understand that God has taught us to love him. In Malachi, there's 3.10. That's the last book in the Old Testament. Let me go back and tell you one thing I didn't say in my introduction that I needed to say. Those people expected Jesus to go back and say, wipe the law out, don't have to keep the law, just forget about that, just go back and start all over again. And that's what they expected him to say, but he didn't say that. He didn't say that. What he said was, I have come to fulfill the law. I have come to explain the law. I've come in order that you might be able to turn uh, to one another and understand that there is a God in heaven that loves you so much that he wants to give the very best to his children. He wants you to be free. 
He wants you to be free from sin. He wants to be free from debt. He wants you to be free from anger. He wants, to, wants you to be free from lust. He wants you to be free from all of those things that bring the world down. And he makes it possible by making a gift to you. When Jesus preached his sermon, then I again have borrowed the title, The Sermon on the Mount, he made it very clear. First of all, he said in that 17th through the 20th verse, I didn't come to destroy the law. But he does say a little later on in the 20th verse, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Pharisees gave because they had to. Christians give because they want to. They gave because they were in a religion. We give because we're in the family. We love one another. We care for one another. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. But when Jesus opened up this Sermon on the Mount, he hit real quickly. Number one, he dealt with anger. Fifth chapter, 21 and 22 verse. In 27 through 28, he deals with adultery. In 31 through 32 verse, in Matthew 5, he deals with divorce. Then in 33 to 37, he deals with oaths. And then in 38 to 48, loving your enemies. I mean, this is tough stuff. Any one of those subjects breaks people wide open when you start talking about them. So Jesus hit them, one, two, three, four. And then he starts talking about giving. And then he continues. Look with me as I take you quickly through. And by the way, I think it's very, very true that you say, well, that's under the law. That's what the Jews did. That was the law. But any time, and you know, they had to tithe 23%. Oh, by the way, people want to know, do you tithe on the gross or do you tithe on that? Now, that's a big Baptist question. If you're not a Baptist, you probably hadn't heard that, but that's a big deal in the Baptist church. You know, I just always wondered. I just want to know, do you tithe on the gross? You want to answer that question? If you want a gross blessing, you tithe on the gross. If you want a net blessing, you tithe on the net. Because that scripture says, with the same measure you meet with all, you pick what you want, I'll measure it to you again. That's the end of that theologically sound on what I just told you. You don't have to have a calculator to, to figure out what God wants you to give. Every giving experience ought to be a worship experience. When God gives you something, Lord, thank you. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above. A lot of people don't have a job. I have one. Woo, goodness gracious. Uh-huh, I didn't know they were going to take that much tax out. Goodness gracious. Well, now, Lord, what do you want me to do? If God says, book a trip and go to the North Pole, well, go get the airline. God says, give it all, give it all. And anywhere in between, then, what does God tell you to do? What does God tell you to do? That's the question. Be obedient in your amount. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 23, I'm fixing to tell you something that 90% of you never heard before a preacher say to you. So listen very carefully. It says in verses 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there you remember your brother has ought against you. You leave there your gift before the altar. You go your way. You first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Did you hear what it said? It says if you, if you are in debt to someone and you're not paying them, it says bring your gift to the altar, leave it there, go make things right with your brother, then come back and say, now go ahead and cash the check. I've made things right with my brother. Why? Because when you have lost your, in, your integrity with the world because you don't pay your bills, 
and you say, but I'm going to give God his, and the world's going to have to wait on theirs. No, no, no. Now, you wait till I get through with this. Some of you already made up your mind. I'm glad he said that. You know, that's the reason I don't give now. I don't ever plan to give, you know. Uh, bring your gift, leave it there, and then go back. Years ago, when the church was much smaller and our system was a whole lot simpler, we would have people literally do this. They'd come bring your gift to the altar, leave it right there. If the check wasn't any good, just leave it right there. Go back and make things right with your brother. Next week, they may bring another, then another one. Then one day, it might be seven or eight weeks later, you get a call when you had a bad offering, and they'd say, this is so-and-so. You know, I brought the, a gift. I left it at the altar, and y'all said y'all to put it in a safe and never, never look at it again unless I call back. Uh, well, I'm calling back, and you can cash those checks now. And every one of them would cash on that particular. Just in the day that you need it. Bring your gift to the altar, leave it there, go back and make things right with your brother. Now, let me tell you something while I'm on the subject. Two things. Number one, there's not a person here, not one person here that's in debt and in bondage because of what you gave to the Lord. None of you. You're all in bondage because this world has conned you out of your money. And it has ripped you off royally. And you don't get it. You don't understand the devil's out to destroy you and God is able and God is trying to get you on the solid rock financially. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And when God comes and speaks to you, every giving experience according to the scripture ought to be a worship experience. And when God tells you what to do, that's when you do it. Well, don't use that expression before I get past this that I am uh, just going to give my to God and the world's going to have to wait. That's not acceptable to the Lord. What you do is you honor God's word by not going into debt. You see, you'll never have a financial problem if you don't spend more money than you got or obligate yourself to more money. Well, say, I don't know whether I need to get that or not. I've got a credit card. I've got a little bit left on it on my credit card. I don't know what to do. Well, you pay off what you owe and don't use that credit card. Use it for records, but you don't use it for credit. And you learn to do without it. Isn't that a remarkable thing? That is really major financial stuff, isn't it? Remember, your seats didn't cost you anything today, so if that's not worth anything to you, we'll break even, all right, okay? But God people have chosen to get in bondage to the world tr trying to keep up with the Joneses. And when you catch them, they refinance. <laughs> and you're right back in the same mess again. So Jesus gets in here and he starts. Look in the 42nd verse. He says, give to them that ask you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn you not away. It doesn't say loan to the people. Listen, when your brother in Christ comes up and says, will you loan me some money? Say, no, I won't loan you any money. But if I've got the money to loan you, I've got the money to give you. And I'm going to give you this. And when God tells you to give it back and provide, that's fine. But that's between you and God. I don't want you in bondage to me. You be in bondage to God. This is God's money I'm giving to you. And I gave it to you because God entrusted it to me. And I'm giving it to you because I think God wants me to give it to you. But we need to keep it in circulation. You know what I'm talking about? Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall the Lord give unto your bosom. With the same measure you meet with all, it'll be measured to you again. Don't put people in debt to you. Another thing he says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, look at this. He says, take heed that, that you do not alms before men to be seen of them. 
Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do your alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that thine alms may be in secret, and your Father which seeth in secret rewards you openly. That is one of the most exciting things when you know nobody knows but you and me and God, what's going on right here? And God comes around from the other side and says, you know what, I can trust you. First of all, you don't help people stay in debt, folks. Many of you might go to help in hand and say, you know what, I was three months behind on my car payment, and that Mr. Jim Hastings, that Dr. Jim Hastings, I don't know what he was thinking about, you know, but you know what, I was about to lose my car, and he would not pay and count, catch up just my three payments, and I promised him I'd pay it back, and all. let me tell you something, my dear. When you're three months behind on a car payment and your car is not worth what's owed against it, it ain't your car. You're not fixing to lose your car. You're fixing to lose the car that belonged to the finance company who needs to get it back anyway. Anything you have that, that you owe money on and you want people to help you stay in bondage, my dear, get free and see what God provides for you. Get rid of that stuff and see what God... We see it hundreds of times a year at Sagemont when people are willing to let go and let God, let the devil have the stuff. God's ways are higher than man's ways. But God wants to bless you through me and me through you. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. He's simply saying, don't hold on to your debt. If you'll come to my financial freedom seminar in a few weeks... I promise you, I'll show you how to get out of debt. I don't care who you are, I can get you out of debt biblically if you'll do what God tells you to do and trust God and you're in a church full of people that would say, I guarantee you it'll work. God wants his kids free, not in the bondage of this world. And Jesus is affirming that right here. Matthew 6, 1 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Not Visa, not MasterCard, not American Express. God will supply your need. And by the way, if you can't afford it, you do without it. And it's amazing. You don't have to insure it then. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to worry about it. You can put a sign out in the front yard, attention all thieves. Break in this house, find anything of value, we split it 50-50. <laughs> you, you can cancel your burglar alarm that you've been paying $85 to, to, to protect your stuff. Let God protect the stuff, okay? Well, you're getting quiet in here. <laughs> but here's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't want to make us look good. He wants to look good. The glory needs to go to him. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, excuse me, do you remember the Lord's Prayer? How about this part? He gets on money. Can you believe that in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others, as we forgive our debtors, or those that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that we owe. Oh, it's a sermon on the amount. We want God to forgive our sins towards him, yet we don't want to forgive those that have sinned against us. He says, if I'm willing to forgive you of your debt to me from your sin and wash you, why don't you help this person? Don't make them be obligated to you. Let them be obligated to me and I will free them as I have freed you. 
Let me tell you another thing he brings up. 6th chapter, 19th through the 21st verse. Be careful about saving for a rainy day and robbing God to do it. You know what? I've learned through the years, if you'll save enough for enough rainy days, God may give you more days of rain than you ever planned to when you were saving and robbing God of his tithes to save for a rainy day. You don't want ever to save money for a rainy day by taking it out of God's desire for you to flow his wealth, for him to flow his wealth through you in order that missions can be done around the world. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. You don't want to save for a rainy day. Here's what it says. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then he picks it up in verse 24 through 30. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one, love the other, or else he'll hold the one, despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what, or what you'll wear, or, or what you'll put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap. But the Father feeds them. Aren't you much better than they? Which of you, by taking one thought, uh, one cubit, and uh, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed by one of these. Wherefore? If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast into heaven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Isn't God good? Isn't God make it clear? Let me take care of you, my child. I can even make you look a whole lot better than what you've already bought. Yeah. I can make you smell better, look better, act better, feel better, if you'll just start walking with me. And you'll understand that life does not consist in the things that you possess. And my dear friend, some of the happiest people in the world are some of the poorest people on the planet today, financially. And some of the most miserable people in the world live in Houston, Texas, in some of the richest parts of this town. Money does not buy happiness. But I'll tell you what does buy happiness is giving. Where you can give, and where you can give as God has blessed you. Where you can let God flow through you. And you can walk over to a table where someone is eating in the restaurant and pay for their meal for them. They've never seen you, but you see something about them. They need a word, a look, and a touch. And I'll guarantee you'll, you'll enjoy the food they ate more than enjoy the food that you ate. That's just the way God works. That's just the way God works. God has a way of coming and blessing people that live in the today. That's a blessing you can get today. Psalm 18, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Exodus 32, 29. For Moses has said, consecrate yourselves to the Lord today. James 4, 13. Go to now. You that say today or tomorrow, we'll go in such a city and we'll continue there for a year. We'll buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. The Bible says this day is the day you are to live. Tomorrow I will take care of you. The next day I will take care of you. I want you to be a good steward. God's not against saving in order that you can continue to give and you can continue to serve and you don't have to be a, a burden on someone else. But you don't take from God. You come to the world and, and, and I mean, you go to the world and you say, there's where I'm going to make my change. Never, ever walk 
with the world. In Matthew 6, 31, God affirms the faithful. He says, your father knows what you have need of in all of these things. But there's a warning. I want you to look at this. I'm almost through, but you listen real carefully. I'm fixing to hit real hard on a truth. Matthew 7, 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Give not that which is holy to the dogs. I don't know what the dog is here in your mind, but I can name some of them. Don't give God's money to the lottery. God will take a whole lot better care of you than the lottery will. Don't give God's money to drugs, to pornography, to alcohol, to the casinos, to the places of pleasure. That's not where God wants his money. We are not to be involved in giving money to a sick, sinful world. You ought to stay out of movies and I ought to stay out of movies that you know before you go in that movie and pay that money for them to make their millions. They're going to damn God's name. They're going to teach everything that's an abomination of God to you and put it in your mind and you're going to think everybody's doing it. Why shouldn't I do it? Don't do that. That's the warning in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't you take my tithes and offerings and put it in this godless world and fund what they are doing. When people quit buying drugs, drugs will go away. When people quit buying all this filth that's on television and movies, they'll quit making those kind of movies. But as long as we pack those places and use God's money for that, I promise you, I promise you, there's going to be a big, big problem between us and God and this nation and our world is going to continue to hurt. Then there's a warning. There's a warning that the tithe is holy to the Lord. That's the second warning. That's the second warning. But let me just say, as you move about, be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Look what's behind the scene. God has a promise in that seventh chapter, verses 7 through 11. Look at this promise. Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you'll find. Knock, it'll be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it'll be opened. What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And the last one that he has in the Sermon on the Mount, hold on again. He says in the seventh chapter, verse 15, listen, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they're ravenous wolves you will know them by their fruits what do you think a false prophet is those of you that are watching on television listen to me very carefully you better check in to what you give God's money to if you think that it's going to the glory of God and you're just giving everything that has a 501c3 nonprofit religious corporation title to it. If those organizations will not send you their budget, you have our budget there, and if you want it in detail, you can come to our office free of charge and talk to our administrator anytime you want to. But this world is filled with people that have no desire to get the gospel to the world 
but they want to fare sumptuously every day. And Christians are supporting them by the millions. If it won't stand the close-up test, including Sage Mont Church, you need to move away. God warns us those people will come. And when they come, we're to step back and walk away. Well, the conclusion of his message was in the 28th verse. And I think it's very appropriate now, so our time has come to an end. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Maybe today I've said something that would shock you. I've been in the ministry 67, well, I've been saved 67 years. I've been in the ministry 56 years. And that's taught me a lot of things. The one thing I do know, everything I have that's good came from my God. My life, my health, my parents, my wife, my grandchildren, my children, my daughters-in-law, my health, it all came from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father, James 1, 17. I've learned that you can't outgive God of your time, your talents, and your substance. You ought to live in such a way to serve God that he feels like I can't call you off the earth yet. You're just too important, given that word and that look and that touch through that ministry. But God continues to look for people. Here's what I've learned that he can bless with his wealth. He's looking everywhere. Second Chronicles 16 and 9. It's not the size of the gift. It's the heart of the giver. It's the heart of the giver. I've got an envelope right here. It came from a five-year-old little boy. His name is Grant McHale and Mike Challenger's son. He's five years old. Last Wednesday night, I was giving this envelope. It's to our, it's to our Annie Armstrong offering, Brother Wade, at uh, our mission offering. This little five-year-old went to his bank. He wanted to give to the mission offering. So he said, go to the bank and get the money. Now, you don't, you're going to like this illustration. You're probably going to want to copy it. He went to the bank. He got five $1 bills. And he brought it down and started, and they said, well, maybe you ought to pray about what you give God and how much you give God before you put it in that envelope. So the little, little boy, he prayed. He took one of the dollars and put it back in his bank and gave four. <laughs> now, how about that? Huh? That's a little bit, you're not surprised in that way. You thought he's going to go back and give 15. But he thought, well, maybe I've got a need and God knows about it. So he told him to keep one. So I guess there's $4. It hadn't been opened yet. I'm going to put it in. I just wanted to show it to you today. As we go away, I want you to think about a story, true story. Beth and I were married. I worked at Sears in Fort Worth, sporting goods store, sport, sporting goods department. One day I was in there working as a salesman. A little boy came in. He was about this tall. He was raggedy. He didn't have any shoes on, barefooted. I mean, he was dirty. His hair was messed up. His whole clothes, his wardrobe, you could have bought it for 50 cents. And he was going through the candy department at Sears. And if you remember, they used to have glass like this. And he was going through, and he was looking at this glass, and he'd go down this side, and then he'd go down that side. And I looked over there, and I've always loved to give. And I saw this little kid, and I wasn't doing anything. Nobody's buying anything from me, so I couldn't make any commissions. So I thought, well, I'm going to go over here. I always have a lot of money with me, and I had $3 that day. So I, I went in my pocket, and I checked, and I had $3. So I went over there, and I said, hey, buddy, what you doing? He said, I'm looking at this candy. I said, well, why don't you buy some of it? He said, I ain't got no money. No problem. Man, you're looking at the man with the money. <laughs> so I got in my pocket, and I got $3 out. I said, let's go around. I kept on pushing him down to the chocolate. You know, I love chocolate, okay? 
So I was trying to push him down to the chocolate, and I finally got down there, and he ordered uh, some little old ch chocolate balls like that. And I told the guy, I said, give him $3 worth. So he measured it up. Man, when he handed that to that little boy, you would have thought that I had given him a million dollars. And I wished I'd have left it right there, but I didn't. I made a terrible mistake. I said to that little boy, hey, buddy, can I have a couple of those chocolate drops? That little sweet, blonde-headed, blue-eyed, little dirty but cute as he could be, became a tyrant. He grabbed that bag like this with both hands. He looked up at me and he said, Ben, that's my candy. And out the door he went. And I was playing baseball in those days, and I, I could have I could caught him. And I, I thought about, the devil said, catch him and just stomp him. <laughs> and spend the time in jail. Don't let him do that to you. But it didn't. I was studying for the ministry. <laughs> but you know what? I got out of that story, and I hope you get that as you go home. I want to tell that little kid everything you got in that bag is because I put it there. If you wouldn't have my $3, you wouldn't have nothing in your bag. And when I asked you for a couple back, it was okay. I was in my rights to do so. Here's what I learned, everything I got in my bag. All that stuff I told you about, my family, my health, all of it, God put it there. And God, you can do whatever you want to with it. Anything you want to. You promise to take care of me. You know my needs. You know how long I'm going to live. You know what my family's going to need when I'm gone. You know all of that kind of stuff. But I tell you one thing, Lord, upon the first day of the week, I'm going to have a prayer time with you. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I have no guilt. If God told me to give nothing, I'd have no guilt whatsoever of giving nothing. If God told me to give everything, I'd try to figure out a way to do that. Let it be a worship experience. Would you bow your head? When God finds people that are faithful and know in their heart that they want what he wants, he just blesses them. It doesn't matter about their education. It doesn't matter about the color of their skin. It doesn't matter about their age. It has to do with their heart. Folks, the door is open before our church to the world right now. The reason that we meet here in a debt-free facility and everything we do, we do never borrow. We never borrow. We want to be a good example to you, but let me tell you something. There's an open door. If God tells you to give financially, do so. If he doesn't, just forget it. But I want you today to think now for just a second about something money can't buy and death can't take away from you, and that's your salvation. If you're here today and you want a new life, it's been paid for, paid in full by the blood of Jesus. If you're here today and you want a new start, you can have that start. If you're here today and you really want God to use you, whatever age you are, however many years you have left in your life, God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will receive the gift of salvation. So if you're in need today, for someone to come and live in you and guide you and comfort you and protect you and provide for you, would you invite Jesus into your heart right now? Would you do so? I'm going to give you a chance to make three decisions. Decision number one is invite Jesus into your heart. Number two is if you've invited Jesus in your heart, but you've never been baptized like the one we saw a while ago, been 11 years, 
She asked for that. She didn't pay for baptism. That's a gift that we enjoy giving from the Lord, believer's baptism. That's the second decision. I want to be baptized. Number three, if you're saved and baptized and you need to find a church home where you can use your spiritual gift, your prayer life, if God chooses to flow his money through you, you can give and know that that money is going to be used in accordance with the will of God through his church, his bride, his body. That will be the third decision. We're going to open a, a room underneath the, the terrace that I'm pointing to in the back. It's a huge room. People are there now. When you go in that room, they're going to ask you, what is your decision? One, I want to accept Jesus. Two, I want to be baptized. Or three, I want to make this my church home. We're going to give you a chance to do that, okay? Now, if you've never made Jesus your Savior, I want you to pray with me this prayer if you want to do so right now. Dear God, I'm a sinner, and I want you in my life. I confess I'm a sinner. I want to be forgiven. I want a new life. I want to be born again. I want to do what you want me to do instead of what the world's trying to get me to do and what my sinful nature has been leading me to do. I want you in my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sin and let me walk with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.